Greetings from Los Angeles. And raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by the 405 freeway. Oh, you can't see me. Yeah, I'm, I'm raising my hand. <laughs> Welcome back, everyone. It's Rudy and Tyler here just yelling into the void that is the cacophony of all the damn podcasts out there everywhere. Hello, void. Uh, yeah, the only reason I bring up the 405 freeway is because the big story today on the day we are recording. Oh, no, was there traffic on the 405? <laughs> there's never traffic on the 405. Why would there be traffic on the 405? Like, yeah, there's always traffic on the 405. It, apparently, there was a shooting that involved the California Highway Patrol that shut down the 405 freeway for pretty much uh, damn near the entire morning. And it just bottled it. Basically, if you're coming from the valley... Just south, you didn't make it to anything or anywhere you needed to be. You're just late or you're not even going there. Yeah, people called into work, said they couldn't make it. When asked why, they just said you know, 405. So for context, for those who are not fortunate enough to uh, live here in the city of Los Angeles, a man pulled out a gun and started firing at California Highway Patrol officers forcing them to return fire and shut down the 405 freeway in the Sepulveda Pass for several hours Thursday morning. The situation unfolded at around 2.45 a.m. near Skirball Center Drive in the Brentwood area. So basically, if you're coming from the valley, it's right when, it, when you go up, right when you go up the hill, right before you start leveling off in the Sepulveda Pass, and then it goes back to, you know, uh, Brentwood to that Brentwood area. Yeah, if our listeners remember some photos that were going around a few years ago of a hellish fire escape uh, from when all of LA was on fire, yeah, it's, this is that area, that stretch of the freeway. It's basically the major artery that connects the valley to Los Angeles proper. So, yeah, so it, it, someone just basically just shut off that valve. And the the entire economy of the West Side just ground to a halt. Dude, that's, it was so crazy. I'm so glad I don't have to take the 405 anymore. I mean, you take the 405 for like a minute and then you're heading west, right? Uh, honestly, it depends. Uh, if I decide to go to a particular coffee shop I like, then yeah, I'll jump on the 405 for like a stop or two. Otherwise, I just take side streets to work. Yeah, you're not that far from from your job so yeah you can you can avoid the freeway in general same with me i mean i don't really need to take the 405 i mean i can take surface streets north enough and then you know i catch a a different freeway so back to the article a red mustang was on the shoulder of the freeway officers noticed an airbag was deployed said officer jose barrios of the chp during a press conference thursday afternoon they observed a male outside the car at that point, the male reached in the car, pulled out a pistol, and started shooting at officers. Officers returned fire, hitting the suspect, who has since been identified as 37-year-old Michael Northcutt and the registered owner of the vehicle. The suspect was transported to UCLA Medical Hospital, where he had to undergo surgery. He is currently in an unknown condition. No officers were injured. A patrol car had a bullet holes in it. These fucking males. It's always a goddamn males. I'm just thinking the air bla- the airbags were deployed and then the cops just check out and then the guy's just like, I need to shoot at these guys after I don't know what the hell happened. The 405 was initially shut down in both directions and it, CHP officers were walking the southbound lanes, canvassing them for evidence and the northbound lanes since reopened in the early hours of the morning. But anyone heading south, you, your day was done. There was no way you're going to make it. There were just like any alternate routes that you could find. I mean, everyone else was already thinking about using those. And so they were just all crowded as well. Yeah, I'm hearing stories of people stopped like dead stop for over an hour, like no movement. That, I'm like, that's the kind of stop where you get out, like you turn the car off, get out. You just start talking to your neighbors and other cars because like there's nothing to do. There's nowhere to go. You're just fucked. Yeah, it was one of the very few instances where traffic ground to a halt, that there was just nowhere to go. And as much as people joke around how just traffic feels like that sometimes, no, this is one of the rare occasions where literally nobody could move. 
Los Angeles International Airport officials said flyaway bus service that carries passengers from Van Nuys to the airport was delayed by at least 90 minutes. Two lanes of the southbound freeway were finally reopened around 9 a.m., but the freeway back backup stretched for miles. The remaining freeway lanes finally reopened at a at around 1 p.m. <laughs> yeah, that's that's your whole day. And and just imagine, like, for the lucky few that could avoid this, I mean, any other alternate route would either take you way out of your way. Bright side, it was not, like, the hottest day in decades or anything. Otherwise, yes. we would have been littered with just all kinds of falling down situations. Yeah, no, this, yeah, today today wasn't sweltering or just super hot. It was just a regular, just a regular day. It wasn't, yeah, there wasn't a worry that, you know, it was a heat wave or anything that would, that would fray a lot of nerves, but it just seems a lot of people just kind of rolled with it. Just like, yep, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? When backup stretches back that far, you know, fortunately we're in a situation where, you know, we, we all have cell phones, we all have Google maps. We all, we, we can figure out the situation of why we're in traffic. Do you remember the bad old days like you know when you were younger and if you were just stuck in traffic it was anyone's guess why yeah you'd just be sitting there saying what the fuck's going on i can't believe this is fucking happening fuck all of this somebody up there better be dead fuck this noise yeah 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 i remember uh, those days yeah just just hoping that okay maybe if i'm still here eventually you know it'll move forward Instead of just this vague sense, you know, but fortunately now we don't have this vague sense of, oh, hopefully this clears up or maybe, you know, if I switch to an alternate route, you know, I'll still make it in time. You know, we all have our phones and just, oh, okay. So the freeway is nope. completely, completely shut down for hours. All right, fine. I'll just sit here and just text my boss or, you know, reschedule my flight. Today was the day to throw in the towel. But fortunately, I didn't have to do that. I was working oh. from home. So shout out to everyone just sitting in that mess because, I mean, you hopefully you were playing Wordle. Maybe like a communal crossword. Just yelling out the window. What'd you get for 46 down? I feel like everyone kind of keeps banging that drum. It's like the 405. It's like the freeway from hell. It's like, eh, you know. It, it's not that bad. It's it, it's not that bad. I mean, it sucks because everyone's going the same direction. You know, if uh, if it's the morning, everyone's coming from the valley south on the 405 to go to either Santa Monica or downtown or whatever, or probably in the South Bay if, you know, you're really screwed. Uh, but yeah, n you know, very few people are going north on the 405 or at least past the 10 or past Wilshire. Yeah, usually not a lot of people go north uh, in the morning. And so that's why, you know, it, just like every freeway kind of has its own timing. It just uh, like if you want to go to Santa Monica on a weeknight, it's like it's always easy, breezy sailing. Just uh, just going west on the 10 because because uh, no one goes to Santa Monica at night. Unless you live there, well, that's true. or like on the week on a weeknight, no one goes to Santa Monica on a weeknight, unless you live there. So that that's why it's always you know when people are like, oh, let's meet up for drinks or something, let's go to Santa Monica. It's always easy because no one's going there unless you live there. But even so, if you want to go to Santa Monica, just take the Expo Line because that is even easier. Uh, well, yeah, shout out to the Expo Line, of course. Big supporter. You know, with more people kind of going out there. Um, Taking the taking the train, finding alternative uh, alternate commutes because gasoline is still expensive. The price is still the price is going down. I've noticed it's not a huge discount, but you know we're 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 making some room, making some headway in the price. I, I just paid five sixty five a gallon. Wow, that is that <laughs> that fucking hurt when you said it out loud. I was like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it hurt when I paid it too. Uh, no, I I usually go to Costco to fill up, and Costco kind of you know because they buy in bulk and surplus, because you know all the Costco stores. So you do save a little bit of ch extra change per gallon, just just because you know it's members only. Sure, sure. 
Let's talk about something we did last weekend. We went to see a very wonderful film. I mean, you saw it a second time. This was the first this time. This movie was so wonderful. I saw it a second time. Willingly, happily, joyfully going to see it a second time. And you know what? I'd see it a third time. This was a great movie, and it's so worth it to see on the big screen. Uh, we're talking about Sonic the Hedgehog 2. No, no. Yeah, no. I mean, that is a good movie, but that's not the movie we're talking about. It's uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once by two directors called Daniels, because I guess they're both named Daniel. Uh, I will say Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shinert. Yes. No, no. Daniel Kwan and Daniel Shinert. Yep, that is correct. Uh, The Daniels, uh, famous for Swiss Army Man as well as a number of music videos, like uh, the video for Turn Down for What? Great video. Hilarious video. Uh, yeah, but yeah, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once stars Michelle Yeoh as the wife and mother to a family that owns a laundromat and who is is currently being audited by an auditor, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, and then... Michelle Yeoh's character gets swept up in an interdimensional battle for salvation of all existence. And it's weird and funny and great action sequences and just a lot of surreal moments. Honestly, one of the most beautiful films I have seen in so long. You know that moment when sometimes like when a really good movie kind of makes you tear up a bit? Yeah. Uh, Well, this one... Not only made me tear up, it kind of did that, you know, kind of just like when little kids start crying and they're like, (laughs) (laughs) you know, that little kind of just like the heaving of just like catching their breath. I felt that. I had that kind of moment where just like, oh, shit. It's like it's really affecting me. It's a beautiful movie. And it's wild how like it's surreal and absurd and over the top and chaotic and honestly overwhelming some of the visuals can be at times and yet it's so touching and it's so sincere as you're following their journeys and their relationships together and it's amazing it's a really well crafted film tells a beautiful story the way i kind of compare it to it seems to have that kind of existential that that same existential question that you kind of see in a lot of you know, animated movie, animated TV shows like BoJack Horseman and Rick and Morty, but it doesn't have that sardonic edge to it where it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't have that kind of just like cynicism, which I admire. This is not a knock at either of those shows, but the movie seems to come toward it more wholesome or more wholeheartedly of just like how hard it is to, you know, exist, to be a human being. And not that those shows don't do that either. Like, they both kind of tackle yeah. that same kind of existential dread of just existing in the world that we live in now. But the movie kind of just doesn't take, just doesn't use that kind of just cynicism as a tool to make, get its point across, which again is not a knock at their shows. It's just a different stylistic choice. Yeah. Like, there's cynicism in moments of the movie, but the movie itself is not presented with cynicism. It, yeah. It, it's. But but That's so fucking beautiful. But yeah, both both the sh- both those shows and this movie both hit at the same me- uh, like heartwarming, life affirming message of just being a person in this world, no matter how hard it is, dude. It's just like just thinking about it just kind of gets you know gets me a little emotional. It's just like it's such a beautiful film, yeah. and I feel like this is the cathartic, ugly cry that a lot of people need after the last two years we've had. Yeah, I mean, this is the movie of the year. A hundred percent. Like this is best picture. Full stop. Uh, it doesn't fucking matter what else comes out. And like I, I've been telling people since the first time I saw it, I love the MCU. I am so excited for Doctor Strange, but this is the best multiverse storyline I've ever seen, and it's phenomenal. And I gotta say, like in terms of tearing up towards movies, I, I find like if movies are sad, doesn't hit me. I I, I never cry over anything that's sad. I, it just doesn't hit me. But when it's like really happy and like sincere, yeah, no, that hits me. 
And that's exactly what this movie does. It does. Absolutely. Okay. So, so you're more of the whole, like, you know, just a wholesome, like, uh, oh, just, you know, a puppy that just like, Absolutely. like a dog like, that, like a dog that sees its owner come back from war is super happy. Like that, yeah. would, that would get to you. Absolutely. Like, like, uh, when we saw the, uh, when we saw that documentary about Mr. Rogers, that was beautiful. Won't you be my neighbor? Or was that the uh, Tom Hanks one? I honestly don't remember which one was which. I never saw the Tom Hanks one because the documentary was all I needed. It was perfect. I think the Tom Hanks one was A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, wasn't it? Yeah, the documentary is called Won't You Be My Neighbor. Big shout out to that one. That was a phenomenal one. Speaking of life-affirming films, have you seen uh, Paddington 2 yet? No, damn it. No, I still haven't watched Paddington 2. That's, it's I haven't high watched on it my either. to-do list. I haven't watched it either. But... One thing I did see is a new series on uh, HBO Max called Tokyo Vice. What's that one about? Uh, I haven't heard about this. Yeah, Tokyo Vice is inspired by uh, Jake Adelstein, who was a crime beat reporter for a Tokyo newspaper during the, I want to say like the mid to late 90s. And so he interviewed, so he basically got interviews with like, you know, cops and, uh, you know, y- Yakuza during kind of just that war, just oh, try- just basically writing about all the crime stories that kind of just like get swept under the rug because it's kind of just the way at that time crime worked was just, you know, the Yakuza kind of just like work. There was like an understanding that like they kind of do their stuff behind the scenes and don't make a ruckus. And then like the police are kind of just like the guards to keep, you know, polite society running smoothly. It's really well done. Um, Ansel Elgort plays Jake Adelstein, uh, the cop that, uh, that he befriends, like the, the experienced cop is, uh, played by Ken Watanabe. Okay. Well, I'm in. It was, uh, the show is created by Michael Mann, you know, the great crime drama auteur, you know, he did Heat, he did, uh, Miami Vice, and now he's got Tokyo Vice. Nice. All right. Uh, all right. It premiered last week with three episodes. The new one came out today. I still haven't got a chance to see it, but oh my God, it's just so engrossing. It's just really well done. It's just a really great show. The production value is there. It's just like they took their time. They're telling it well. It's got the great, it, it just, just kind of just the look, just the cinematographer did his work of just like trying to make it just like atmospheric and it's grounded and real, but also it kind of has that like layer of just slick back and cool. Okay. All right. Well, I will absolutely cue this one up next. I'm in the middle of my own HBO show and I'm almost done with that. So Tokyo Vice is definitely the next one I've got queued up because this sounds fantastic. Awesome. Uh, well, so what are you watching? What are you in the middle of? Our flag means death. I have seen a few episodes of this, uh, but go ahead. Give a description. I'm digging, of what it. This I'm, is. I'm digging it. What is this? So this is the, the Taika Waititi uh, pirate show. And I have to say, I was kind of torn when it came to what we do in the shadows. It's kind of like all of these things that I like were all of the, there. And yet I was still kind of lukewarm to the whole show. I don't know. Like there were things I liked and things that just made me kind of go meh. But I'm really digging uh, the pirate show. The, it's very quirky. It's also very queer, which is kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, Taika Waititi as Blackbeard, Reese Darby as the gentleman pirate, as yes. he tries to become a pirate who isn't as ferocious, but is extra scary because he is so polite and failing miserably at being scary. But it's just like, I don't know, it's kind of endearing. And it's... Got like a, a fun cast that makes up the whole crew. And like everybody on the, the the crew of the ship is, it's like somebody I've seen in other things, but I don't know their names. The guy who plays Hodor. Yes. Hodor is on the ship. Hodor is on the ship. And so is the guy who was um not Marine. It, like he was the guy that Daenerys ended up having to marry in order to like keep the peace of. um Yes. Was it Marine? Oh, yeah. She was the queen of Marine. It has to be Marine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So she married that guy to be queen of Marine. Uh, so, yeah. So he's part of the crew. And yeah, Reese Darby is really great. I loved him since Flight of the Concords. And he's. Yeah, it's like he's pretty good. I, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that you were kind of just like lukewarm to what we do in the shadows, but you really like this show. Cause I'm kind of like, 
the opposite. Like, I love what we do in the shadows. It's just so fucking great. And this one, <laughs> this show, it's like, ah, you know, it's pretty funny, but it just doesn't grab me the same way. Maybe it just, it, it's just, it's got a, its own different feel, but it's, but yeah, I enjoy it. And, and it's so weird though, because like, they're the same kind of comedy but they just hit on a slightly different wavelength. But it really is like at the core, it's the same kind of awkward, dry comedy. Well, kind of. Well, because Reese Darby is kind of just like a, he's a sweet idiot. It's just like, you know, his heart is in the right place. It's just, he's, he can't help that he's dumb. But whereas the vampires from what we do in the shadows, like, they're, them being dumb also comes from their arrogance because they've just been, you know, they're, they're supposed to be these fearsome creatures for, who've lived hundreds of years, but yet they don't know how to, you know, use the internet or don't know that, like, a, a chain email, like, you can just delete those, like, so. Yeah, see, like, a lot of that, I'm kind of like, you know, you've been around, you, you, you should know things. One of the jokes I loved on uh, what we do in the shadows was the guy who was an energy vampire, the roommate. Yeah, I yeah. thought he was hysterical because I'm like, oh, yeah. that's a really fun take. That's a different take on a vampire, and it works really well. Funny enough, that was not in the movie because, like, the show is an adaptation of the movie. But yeah, there yes. was no energy vampire. Like a completely different character created for the show. Totally worked. Reese Darby, werewolf in the movie werewolves not swearwolves so yeah it's weird because it's just like yeah it's the same kind of wavelength but it's just different approaches you know reese darby's buffoon is you know well-meaning and you know just kind whereas you know the vampires are buffoons but it comes from arrogance and ignorance so that's why that's probably why it just like different gels yeah because i i like our flag means death but it just doesn't hit me as well as what we do in the shadows. And then you were just like, yeah, you, what we do in the shadows is fine, but it doesn't grab you like yeah. this show did. Like, and I'm not going to say anything really bad about what we do in the shadows because, no, yeah, it's fine. Like, it, it's just curious, right? <laughs> it's curious. It is. Oh. oh. Like, Man. good work, Taika Waititi. Yes. Does, and, uh, yeah, shout out to Reservation Dogs. That's another great Taika Waititi show. And damn. And I think it, uh, it recently got a Peabody Award. So, oh, good for them. Yeah. So, looking forward to season two. That show is fucking awesome. I know I saw Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Okay. I did see that. That, so, why why did you feel the need to go see Sonic the Hedgehog 2 of all the movies in the theater right now? Maybe it would reverse the curse of this whole pandemic. Okay, I know everyone's listening is like, how how the fuck does that work? Does Sonic have to go around the world so fast that he turns back time a la Superman or? You know, that's a misnomer. Everyone, because, you know, the Superman movie where they think like Superman turns the world back. It's like, no, no, Superman isn't turning the world back. He's just flying so fast that he can travel back in time so the the world spinning backwards is just his perspective of time going backwards so that that was the thing that always kind of bugged me just like yeah he's not spinning the earth back superman's flying faster than light so he can go backwards he's basically using the speed force to go back in time yeah, well, that movie never introduced the Speed Force, and I'm just saying, just I'm, watch the I'm world just saying, change rotation. for simplicity's sake, to s- now that's the one thing. Like, yeah, you can you can fault Richard Donner for not making it clear that that's what Superman was doing. It's like he wasn't turning the world backwards because <laughs> that's not how that's not how it works. If the Earth suddenly started spinning the other direction, we wouldn't go back in time. We just you know it just mean that the sun would come up from the west and set in the east that's it and maybe yeah we wouldn't go back in time we would just fly into the wall and die oh yeah yeah well yeah if we suddenly just shift the direction <laughs> just out of nowhere then yeah we'd all be dead but yeah but just for simplicity's sake that's what superman was doing but um the reason i said just to see sonic the hedgehog 2 to kind of just reverse the curse it's because the last movie we saw like you me and a couple of friends saw before all this lockdown was Sonic the Hedgehog. 
damn you, Sonic. So, uh, like, that was the last movie we saw in the theater before the world shut down and everything changed. And now, when it was back, I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch the movie, and hopefully this will reverse the curse. We'll be free. I mean, it's still a good movie, though. But, but I mean, whether it reversed the curse, we'll wait and see. But it was a great movie. We'd go out on a limb and say... No. What? You didn't like the first Sonic? <laughs> okay, so the first Sonic, I'll say, was an entertaining film. It wasn't bad, but my problem with it, the basic core of the movie, which is I don't want to see a movie of Sonic in our world. I want to see a movie of Sonic in his world. Oh. And it's a cheap fucking thing to bring sonic wow, into our world wow. like i don't need that well it worked what are we doing here? it worked though it worked i mean it was fine <laughs> i just didn't need that uh and also i when i think of sonic i don't think of a fun interesting and intricate plot line right like from the games right it's, but it's I mean, to be fair, like, yeah, to really be fair, fast to the right. Yeah, but to be fair, if you stuck to the whole premise of the video game, you know, you don't have a good movie. So honestly, I wouldn't have made a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Well, the point is, they made a movie and it actually worked. It it's it was it was well received. It wasn't terrible. It yeah. made a lot of money. I enjoyed it. I liked it. So that's enough to see the sequel, which pretty which is also a pretty good movie. And yeah, no, I, uh, Idris Elba, I don't know. He kind of like, he, he kind of chewed the scenery a little bit, but I think that's mostly just cause to, to play all, to play a little bit with knuckles. I don't know. I kind of feel like he needs to though, to kind of contrast with Sonic. Yeah, that's true. But, but yeah, but it still worked. Jim Carrey's still funny as ever. They, it's, uh, the little kind of like B and C plots or, I mean, they worked. Everyone got their kind of chance to show off and shine, even though a lot of their characters are kind of just like two-dimensional, you know, like uh, Natasha Rothwell, who plays uh, Tika Sumter's sister, has kind of choose, she talk about chewing the scenery. But, you know, it's a ridiculous movie about a, you know, hedgehog and rings that open portals, uh, a mad scientist with an unlimited budget that he could just create a whole <laughs> bunch of, you know, little things and, you know, emeralds and shit and you know, echidnas that punch the shit out of everything. So, yeah, I mean, it still works. I loved it. Yeah, no, it's a solid movie. If you like the first one, you like the second one. And there is a teaser for the third. So, <laughs> and, and part of me is like, well, why do you watch this movie? It's like, well, why do they make nine Fast and the Furious movies? So, you know. Oh, we're not going to besmirch the, the Fast and the Furious movies. I mean, that was a... That shit is Shakespearean. That, that is Hamlet. Really? The guy started out with just like, <laughs> oh, we're stealing DVD players to all of a sudden he's he's a vaguely biracial Hulk. I'm sorry. Do you not like character growth? <laughs> character growth isn't. Uh, we'll just make him fucking be able to throw dudes through walls and shit. It's called evolution. <laughs> it's family. Uh, was, <laughs> oh, oh, I need a Corona. Uh, oh, that that's one thing that annoys the hell out of me. With just like all these bros, like yeah, Corona. Like Corona's not even that good. That's not even that great I mean, of a fine. beer. It's fine. I mean, it's just a lot. That's not even like, the best whatever. Mexican beer. That's the thing. Modelo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Modelo Negra. Yeah, yeah, that's the, that's the thing when people are like, oh, that's you know, when people are like, oh, let's drink some Mexican beer, get Corona. Like, that's not even oh. the best Mexican beer. What the fuck are you on about with Coronas? Damn, what, oh, what's the name of that other Mexican lager? I, I think it was started by a dude here in Los Angeles. Shit, there, there was one that was really fucking good. Uh, was it? Oh. No, I was thinking Calidad, but I don't know. Yeah, I think that was Calidad. Calidad beer. That was a good one. Yeah, that was it. I haven't seen it anywhere. I don't know. It's like it's it's I'm, not I'm, super common, but it should be. Yeah, yeah. I like yeah. It's not like the company went under or anything. It's just yeah. I just don't see it everywhere. Like I know I know it's there. I had it. It's pretty good. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh. Well, yeah, no, my vote is still uh, Modelo Negro. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. A lot of people, a lot of my friends, I was just like, yeah, I'm fine with just a regular Modelo, but yeah, you know, Modelo Negra is just like, yeah, I see. I, I can appreciate it. I would not turn down a Modelo Especial, but uh, <laughs> if given the choice. Of course, of course. 
Oh, you know what else? I got something to complain about. Okay, fine. Here we go. Are we gonna? Is it's this a, about? Is it about complaint. the Rona or just regular? No, complaining? no, no. Because cases are. We have, we have up. you and I. We have, we have a friend, and I've determined that this friend is a very bad influence. Okay, elaborate. He, he dragged my ass to the gym, and I've been in pain. Ever since. Ah, uh, yes. Shout out to our friend and uh, creator of ASMR Quinn, Calvert. You jerk. Okay, what? No, he go- so he started going to a rock climbing gym and he's like, he asked me if I wanted to go. And I made the mistake of saying, yes, it's not my fault. I was drinking when he asked me. I, I was so there. I and yes, we were drinking. And I was drinking as well. And I knew enough not to you know, follow through on any kind of just let's go to the gym. Like mm, I'm drinking a beer right now. I don't think that'd be a good idea tomorrow. I was having an extra beer to celebrate kicking everybody's ass in Scrabble. Ah, yes, that's right. Upside down. Oh, you won (laughs) barely. You barely won. I should have fucking finished that off. So anyway, you cheated at Scrabble. So, So anyway, so I went to the gym, we're messing around on the rock wall, not really knowing what to do, but we're doing it the best we can, and we you know, climb around, and it's crazy how just going two feet up and just going to the left and trying to stay off the ground like you're a kid again, all of a sudden my forearms were on fire. All these little tiny muscles just were ablaze. It was ridiculous. And eventually we just kind of cut over, went to like the regular part of the gym, started lifting some weights. I, I grabbed two 25 pound dumbbells and just did like these one legged squats. Cause like, that's a really good move that I like to do. But I had to stop early because I literally could not keep holding the dumbbells. My forearms were so shot. Wait, wait, wait. And the so d- wait, you, so you were just using the dumbbells. You didn't even climb yet. No, this was after the climb. Okay, this was so after we, the we climb. we were doing climbing. Yeah, oh, okay. we were climbing around right, for a little right. bit, just kind of poking around at the wall, not knowing what to do. We weren't going super hard. We weren't strapped into ropes or anything. Right. Just kind of free climbing and mm-hmm. not going high up because we're still new at that. Right. So, yeah, by the time I was trying to like lift a dumbbell, my, dude, I couldn't <laughs> hold on to them at all. It, I was so dead. It's like, you need a banana in you. And I'm just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't swing that way. <laughs> but I wouldn't have had the power to say no. I was so fucking done. Yeah, no, I can, fe- I can just feel that just like, yeah, you're just like your body just giving out. And you're just because lack of potassium, your muscle, you're like your biceps oh. are on fire. You're like, ah, I can't even, I can't even move my hands. Well, what's crazy is I felt like I kind of hit a full body thing. And the next day, it was my quads. They were just so much pain. I'm trying to remember. Those are where now? Uh, Upper leg. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. So sitting down was painful. Standing up was painful. Walking around was painful. Like, everything was painful. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What kind of shit did you do that sitting down is painful? Uh, It was... Mostly the, like the squats. Oh my god! Because it started to hit the ass too. Uh, <laughs> That's what she said. Yeah. So it was literally. I, all right. Today is the first day where they don't hurt that bad, and we're recording this on Thursday. And we went. I was at the gym on Sunday. Jesus, <laughs> dude. It, now I haven't done like a proper workout in like two years. I've done little things, you know, I've picked up weights, put them back down. I've moved the blood around a little bit here and there, but not like a proper workout. And Sunday was the first one in two years and woo, I paid for that. Well, to be fair, I mean, you did do rock climbing, which is the, in practice is pretty much uh, body weight exercise. It really so, is. It's very deceptive. So literally, the only thing you have to blame for your, you know, muscle spasms is your fat ass. <laughs> I want to blame the bad influence friend of ours. Like, um, he's a bad influence, and he should he should know right, he's right. bad influence. Right, right. It's him. It's gravity. <laughs> just gravity in general for just yeah. just being a dick. You know what? I wouldn't weigh this much if gravity would fuck off. That's the title of the episode. (laughs) Like, gravity fuck off.
So yeah, that that that's been uh, oh my, my pain and suffering oh for the week. God. Yeah, you know, because yeah, because yeah, the whole premise of just climbing is just like yeah, you need to hold on because your heavy ass is pulling you, who's pulling you down. And, yeah, and and like I, it was funny. I asked Cal, I was like, all right, so what do I need to bring? What do I need to wear for this? Like, is a specialty? It's telling me I'm like, all right, so I, I show up in uh, jeans. And, you know, we had a good laugh because that's a stupid joke. Why would you go to the gym in jeans? So cut to us working out, uh, trying to climb on the rocks, not knowing what to do. And we end up talking to some guy uh, hanging out in jeans. Yeah, because if you're wearing shorts, like people going to be looking up at you. <laughs> yeah, but jeans. <laughs> like sweatpants is one thing, but like jeans. This, this dude knew what he was doing. He was just like some white dude with a ponytail, jeans, and a t-shirt. What? And... <laughs> Just Popeye forearms, and he was dominating everything. And it's like, oh, you should go go up this little path. This is the easy one. And he just did it real quick, super graceful, like a fucking gazelle. And then we just kind of stumbled our way up it, and we felt accomplished because we did it. But like, he made it look so easy. It was not that easy. Yeah, you know, like you do it enough. It's just like yeah, yeah. and yeah, and especially That's you know doing and especially rock climbing. You know, you lose weight because your body kind of just like oh okay, it's burning fat, and then you know you don't weigh as much, so your muscles you know burn off that energy. And yeah, it's like yeah, so it just evens it out. It's yeah, it's kind of just eh, I can see I can see being a very effective exercise that. It really is. Really wrecked you. Hopefully, you'll be ready this weekend when we hit the hit the driving range. Yeah, I should be good by then. Nah, but I'll probably have to go to the batting cage after that just because uh, I'll need to get that out of my system. Every time we do the driving range, like I just want to swing. I just want to swing so hard. That's all my body knows how to do. Hopefully, you feel better this weekend. We're going to head out to uh, the driving range, but when this episode comes out, It'll be uh, a few days before one of the big events of the year that I've been looking forward to. And now it's coming back, hopefully. Thank you. (laughs) The L.A. Times Festival of Books. The Los Angeles Times Festival of Books is coming back after being on hiatus for two years because of the pandemic. Uh, For those of you who don't know, every year around April... The Los Angeles Times sponsors a book festival. It originally took place at University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA campus. But for the last, I want to say maybe five, six years, maybe a little more, seven. Uh, it's been taking place at USC, the University of Southern California. Taking advantage of the expo line with a station just right at the doorstep of that university, pretty much everyone can come over from different parts of Los Angeles and SoCal in general to attend. So damn convenient. To attend two days of just panel discussions with some of your favorite authors, celebrities giving interviews, and just a great place to, you know, get together, buy some books. So, yeah, it's very exciting. And I went every year, every year. Since 2006? No, 2000. No, no, no. Hold on, hold on. It was 2000. It's a hell of a streak. Five. It was 2005. Yeah, that's right. I remember. It was 2005, a year after I graduated college. I was unemployed. I was just still trying to find something, trying to find gainful employment. And, you know, it was one of those things where it's just like, oh, it's free. Let me go to this uh, big event. Again, this was back when it was at UCLA. And it was a lot of fun, different panels and authors talking about different subjects like fiction, nonfiction, horror, mystery, science fiction, fantasy, basically any kind of genre that you are a fan of. There is a panel discussion and authors talking about it. Some people are probably listening like, why would I want to go to a book festival? I don't even read. Why do I want to go where a bunch of nerds are talking about books? And I'll tell you. You dumb SOB. Why you should go to the Festival of Books. Tell us. Tell us why. Because there's also food. Yeah. The book festival also has a culinary stage. So, yeah. So, you can get to see different chefs hawking their cookbooks and doing demonstrations. One of the events on Saturday is Danny Trejo, of course, famed character actor. 
Yes, famed character actor Danny Trejo is going to be hawking his book, Trejo's Tacos, Recipes and Stories from L.A., as well as doing a cooking demonstration. It was around 2 o'clock at the cooking stage, so I was like, damn, that sounds good. That'd be pretty cool. It reminds me of some of the the other times uh, in previous years when I went to the cooking stage. One of my favorites was Roy Choi, the, the celebrity chef who made, you know, food trucks, you know, who basically started the food truck renaissance with Kogi. This is the guy you have to thank for all the food trucks out there in, you know, festivals and different events and or just any place you'd like to go to get lunch. Like this is the guy that you have to thank. He, like he, he's a real pioneer. He is the pioneer. It was like when he was when he started his food truck and this was at the same time where Twitter was starting to be a thing and the iPhone was brand new and he basically capitalized on those those big innovations to just say, you know what? I'm going to just make a food truck. I'll let people know this is where it's going to be. You want to get the, get at this food? You come over here. Or a group that people just like, oh, okay, we're just going to you know gather around at this random parking lot. And everyone's just sort of like, what's this crowd of like 50, 60 people doing just waiting at this random parking lot? All of a sudden, Kogi truck comes in and then just it's a fucking party. So wild. So yeah, and I remember one of the yeah one of my favorite panels, and that was one of my favorite memories, just seeing him being interviewed by the late great Jonathan Gold, who was the big culinary critic for the LA Weekly, and eventually the Los Angeles Times. We miss a voice like his. We we need. We do, yeah. We need that guy to kind of just like. If he were alive today, he'd be just advocating for more restaurants and just making sure people got out there and supported these places because, damn, you know, it's like, yeah, the pandemic hit these businesses hard. Yeah, it's kind of crazy when you're looking around and trying to figure out which places are still open, which ones have shut down. You always feel blindsided. It's always just like a Yelp page. If you're lucky, you can find the Yelp page because sometimes, you know, some, some businesses aren't as savvy with social media or they don't put enough time in it. And some places are just kind of just like, oh, well, you know, we got enough people to come in and get the word out. But, you know, after a while, just, you know, they just vanish. I mean, I've been to the festival books probably three or four times. Kind of lost track. But it's one of those things like I'm like excited to go to, but I would have easily missed it if I didn't have you to remind me that I was going on. So... It's really cool. I enjoy walking around, seeing everything. I I will say I'm super overwhelmed by all of the books because like there's so much that I want to read. There's so much on my to do list, and there's just not enough time. I don't even know where to start most of the time. I I would just, sorry. I was just thinking about the fact that you wouldn't know about anything unless I brought it up. Not nothing, <laughs> but a, quite a few things. <laughs> Uh, you know, I always need you to remind me when shows start, when movies are releasing. Yeah, you're a really good TV guide. I'm just saying. Oh, uh, TV guy. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you're a good TV guide. I'm like, that's not, that's not my job. That's not my job. <laughs> I know it's not your job. I don't pay you for it. <laughs> but I do appreciate it. Yeah, the Festival Books is great just for just a great collection of you know, celebrities hawking their memoirs or, you know, any new books that they've just written. I still remember when I went to see Patton Oswald promote a silver screen fiend. I think, I think that was his. Yeah. Which was his uh, book talking about just his, his experience, just, you know, watching movies and kind of like living in Los Angeles while he was building his, uh, comedy career and just basically his whole love for the for cinema i remember that in the run-up to his interview in um at the festival of books timothy oliphant was on conan and he just uh just for a comedy bit they were just like oh yeah you know like Patton oswald he's a big asshole and blah 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 and then just like yeah he was such a jerk on set and all that other stuff so it was kind of pretty funny just you know it was kind of like a little bit to you know just like oh you know pump up you know drama or just like you know eyeballs to like the fact that you know he's got a book out and i remember going to the i remember going to the um going to the event you know it's like yeah he's great and the interview and they're just like oh you know we should let people ask questions so i was like oh get this this is how cool i am i'm gonna go ask 
Patton Oswald. Hey, does he have anything to say about Timothy Oliphant? You know, saying all that. The beef? Yeah, you want to squash this beef? You have anything to come back with? Like, yeah, yeah, all right. It's like, yeah, he's going to think I'm smart. Because like, yeah, yeah, I, I saw that. It's like, what's he got to say? So anyway, so I make it, so I'm in line and, you know, people are going back and forth, asking questions, blah, blah, blah. It gets to my turn. And then I ask, uh, I ask Patton, he's like, uh, you know, Mr. Oswald, I'm a big fan of yours, blah, 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 blah. So, uh, so Timothy Oliphant was on Conan and he was talking about you being a, just a jerk on set. And well, at least you got anything to, you'd want to say to that. And then I still remember he had his, he had the mic on his hand and he was sitting down and he kind of just like turned and you know, to look at me like it's the way those seats were angled were like, you know, just both kind of facing across from each other, but like angled toward like the center. So anyway, he kind of like I still remember he had to turn and kind of like perched both his elbows on the fucking uh, armrest of one of the chairs. <laughs> and with the mic in his hand, he's like, yeah, that's a joke, buddy. All right. <laughs> like he said that stuff because that's not real. All right. He did it to just pump up the book. And, and so everyone in the audience just laughing because, of course, here he is, Patton Oswald, just tearing me a new one. And I, and in my head, I'm thinking, you motherfucker, you're, you're supposed to yes and. It's like, this is L.A., all right? Do you not know how to improv? Yeah, but sometimes it's funnier just to, like, shut everything down. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. So now that I had this platform where I can respond back. Let me just say, Patton Oswald, I understand. Yeah, you thought I was being dumb, but I was like, yeah, fuck you, man. All right, I was trying to yes and. He has this podcast with his wife, and you know what I have to say about that podcast? It's pretty good. I mean, it's it's not it's not like groundbreaking, but it's just it's him and his wife just trading stories that they saw online that they text to each other, which is why it's called "Did You Get My Text?" So it's a pretty it's a pretty That's cute. yeah it's a it's a funny little podcast. I wish you continued success, and you're banned from this podcast. Regardless of the fact that you're probably not going to do this podcast, you're banned. This is going to be like a fucking BuzzFeed article. Local podcast bans famous comedian Patton Oswalt. <laughs> so, yeah. So that so that was my little story. But, yeah, it was just kind of that thing where you're just like, oh, you know, you tore me a new one. It's like, but I'm your fan. And, like, you know, I was, I was just setting you up. You know, you could have just... <laughs> said some stuff and you know whatever <laughs> oh good times well i mean not for me i mean no i mean for me uh, i was there for that one that was fantastic but yeah but he wasn't even the only comedian i saw at the festival books i mean a few years back i saw sarah silverman like she was on the main stage i think there was the la Times stage and it's just her reading excerpts from her memoir and also you know telling a couple funny jokes one of the best ones was i think i think it was like my first year was kevin smith was there promoting his book i think silent bob speaks i think that's what it was yeah oh my god it was such a great just it, he had that bit and it, you know it was just the the height of just Lord of the Rings fandom. And he had that bit where he makes fun of the three movies just being three movies about walking. Yeah. yeah. So accurate. So I remember be, I remember being there, like seeing him do the bit live that he did on The Tonight Show, like uh, just a few days earlier. And everyone's just like, did anyone see Leno? And they're like, no, no. And they're like, oh, so we, but we just got a bunch of Letterman fans here. And he did, yeah. he proceeded to do the bit of just like three movies where, you know, it's just about walking. And uh, the best part about that, well, not only just because you got to see Kevin Smith do his, like, Q&A shtick at, like, live for free is... Yeah, didn't have to pay, no drink, two drink minimum. Exactly. That was like, yeah, because this was like, you know, if this was like his standard special, like his Q&A specials where, you know, you have to pay, like, freaking, what was it, like, sick, north of 50, 70, 80 bucks. To see to see him do that live here, you saw it for free, and it was best. I I was just like right in the periphery of the stage, and you know you get to see it up close. But the best part was back then, like mid two thousands. If you couldn't go to a panel discussion, they would actually record the panel, and you can buy a CD, a burnt CD of the panel. Like from a festival booth, and so I—that's a good. Awesome. So I actually have a an audio copy of uh, Kevin Smith's set 
from the LA Times Festival books. That's like a proto podcast. Well, it wasn't really a podcast because this was just a stand-up performance, but it's just an audio version of it. It's still one of my most prized possessions because I don't think there exists any other kind. I think there might be like a video of it somewhere, but I don't know if it's still uploaded to YouTube or all that stuff, but I still have an audio copy of that and, and it was just great. But yeah, speaking of stuff that, you know, the festival used to do that they don't do anymore. Cause yeah, they don't do audio recordings of that anymore. You just, you just show up or you don't now. But, uh, one of the things that I miss is that before the festival actually made pins, like commemorative pins for each year. So like actual pins, not buttons. I mean, pins like enamel pins. <laughs> I know. Like they put money into these. Yeah. Ones. Like something that like, okay, some, you know, you actually put effort behind, not just some, you know, clangy, noisy, aluminum bullshit. I mean, not that bad. Usually you lose those things before they get super rusted. Yeah. Well, they rust up is the point. Yeah. They, but, they get bent and they fall off. So, yeah, so they used to have little pins, and it's just like it would have the artwork from the artist who would make the poster of the event. Because every year they hire an artist to design the theme. So the artwork that goes with the year of the festival, and usually they'll put kind of just like their artwork on, you know, fucking mugs. And before it would be pins, but now I think they just do buttons or stickers or something like that. And tote bags and shirts and all that stuff. And that's how, you know, they you could get some merch. So they should bring that back. So, no, you know, here's a note for the LA Times, you know, hey, if, Bring back pins. Bring back the commemorative pins for the festival books, especially since pins are a thing now. You know, like a yeah, few we went to a whole expo yeah, for those. Yeah, pins are a thing now. We're just like, yes, bring back pins. Fuck this button shit. Pins. Everyone loves pins now. So yeah, just heads up if you're listening, and hopefully they are. It's like I'm gonna like uh, I the the uh the show's podcast account retweeted their tweet just talking about how the festivals came back it got some traction you better believe i'm gonna i'm gonna tag them when this episode drops let them all know yeah no there's great events um i think they're still doing a travel component uh usually yeah they have uh panel discussions on traveling uh think hopefully they have it this year you know if you're if you have a family they've a uh, kid stage the young adult stage uh there's poetry i think amanda gorman will be here amanda gorman who recited that poem during uh joe biden's inauguration and yeah it's just a great time well here's something interesting i'm looking at the the front page right now because you mentioned the illustrator so i was kind of curious what the theme was going to be I don't know what the theme is, but uh, it says the 2022 Festival of Books artwork has been created by Angie Wang, a Los Angeles based illustrator and cartoonist. And if I click on her name, I get to see a lot of her artwork and it all looks really cool. Very unique, kind of abstract and some weird shit. I'm looking at the festival website and it's just like there's one with like a person with like a giant book over them like over their head is that the one on the beach no 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 oh uh, okay okay no i'm talking about the actual festival website just you can see some of the little doodles yeah she's got some she's got one here that's a, a picture of a woman on the beach but she's holding like her face is in the book yes and on the cover of the book is like a picture of the beach and the, the like the beach on the book lines up with the beach outside that's kind of cool. It's kind of nice. Uh, it's also animated. Her hair is blowing. Next to that is a bunch of other people with their faces buried in books. That's cool. I like it. it I like her art style. Hopefully when we're there, you can buy a mug or a shirt or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Usually, usually those mugs, I have a couple of those. Uh, you know, I feel like some of them look better in hindsight than others. It just, uh, I remember there was one year where, you know, the artwork didn't really it looked pretty generic, and and it was kind of the thing. It was like, oh, why did I buy this mug? I mean, it's still good as a mug, so it's not like oh, it's not a waste of money or anything. We're just like, eh, no, it's like I didn't really need it. Like the artwork didn't catch me as much. The poetry stage is always pretty good. I've 
discovered new writers that way, just new poets. The one downside of the poetry stage is usually there's uh, there's a bunch of kids that promote poetry slam, like the whole poetry slam. And look, you know what? I don't want to get in my soapbox, but I just I just want to let it be known. If you invite me to a poetry slam, I'm probably going to say no. What's the matter? Is it uh, too urban No. For you? Wow. No, that's not it. No, urban is not code for black. It's the way I feel about poetry slams is the same way I feel about improv. There are a lot of people who do it, but there are very, very, very few who do it well. That's fair. No, I, uh, as someone who's done a lot of theater classes and plenty of improv in my yeah, that, you know, high school and college, I fully appreciate that. Improv is a pain in the ass to watch. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the same. Yeah, for, you know, for all, I'm saying this for all the English majors out there who are just like, oh yeah, you know, there's a, you know, my friend's throwing a poetry slam. You want to come? It's like that. It's the same energy as someone trying to get people to show up to their improv show. It's like, ah, it's like, I've seen you do it. I'm not a fan. I always think of improv as like, improv is a really important and useful tool to practice but it's hard to practice without really having an audience. So you're just inviting people to watch you practice. And it's like nobody wants to watch you practice. They want you to perform. But you're not performing when you're doing improv. You're just practicing. That's all it is. It's like watching somebody sharpen their knife. Like, no, I don't want to see you sharpen the knife. I want the sharp knife. Now, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not into saying that like, oh, you know, these kids can't learn any kind of valuable skills from poetry slams. Like it's a lot of just like being able to be comfortable with public speaking, uh, conveying your ideas, you know, being creative. All that stuff is very important. But I would do anything else for these kids except go to the poetry slam. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I'm going to see them and hopefully they haven't heard this episode. Yeah. So just, you know, kids, kids, I love what you're doing. I love the energy. But also sometimes like some of them just like a little too, you know, it's a little too much of this energy, this feeling this place that we can do together be part of this movement to move to be to mean something you know like like no no i'm sorry i'm sorry that kind of energy is just like no thank you no thank you that that's my polite thing it's like no thank that's fair um i do want to take a moment to shout out that uh similar to that to slam poetry beat poem um my favorite video on youtube one that i watch every year that i've seen a thousand times is in fact a beat poem by the comedian uh tim minchin it's called storm and i highly recommend everybody watch it it's is a very well done one he doesn't have that same awkward cadence that becomes synonymous with beat poetry but it's very good it is unfortunately nine minutes but it is, it's worth every moment. I That's one of the great videos I've seen. Shout out to, you know, all the poets across the country, not even just LA, but shout out to all the poets. But Poetry Slams, uh, no thanks. No thanks. But yeah, you know, you keep writing, keep writing. But also, yeah, one of the best things about the Festival of Books is just the books and all the other cool things that are there. Just, uh, you know, you got different bookstores, diff- just basically all the shopping you can do. Uh, you, you've got all the big players like Book Soup, Roman's Bookstore from uh, Pasadena, Book Soup from Hollywood. Uh, yeah, they're all there. It just like you can buy some pretty cool and funky titles, not just the typical stuff that's being talked about in the festival. Uh, you can also find the niche suppliers of different genres. So, you know, I talk about romance writers or uh, sci-fi, fantasy. All of them are all well represented. If you even have to speaking about poetry, it's just like all the big, you know, bookstores like uh, Beyond Baroque, which is kind of just like a bookstore slash venue for the arts that also sells poetry books. And I think they sponsor the poetry stage. And then if you just like cheap books, then, yeah, you have Pennyworth books and I think uh, Brown Paper Bag, I think. Fantastic. I go there every time. Quick uh, tip for anyone who wants to save on some of those books. Hit up the festival Sunday afternoon. That's when you're going to see a lot of discounts because a lot of people don't want to have to pack up all that merchandise and ship it back. Yeah, that makes sense. Sunday afternoon, you can hit up those tents, 
you're going to see prices start going down. So, yeah, you can clean up if you're smart about it. A lot of my favorite books I've picked up at the festival. Uh, of course, one of the ones that had a big impact on my life was um, The Little Book of Atheist Spirituality by André Comte-Monville, which is he's a French philosopher who takes a more uh, pragmatic approach to finding spirituality without, you know, by, you know, getting rid of religion or just basically making an argument it's a lot of a lot of people praise the book because it's not as confrontational as like a christopher hitchens or a sam harris but still makes the same point that you can live a life without faith and still find kind of just beauty and purpose in the world and i remember coming across that book i think around i think 2006 well, anyway, it, the date doesn't matter. The whole point is, like, I found the book and I read it. And it, I think it was a Roman's bookstore that uh, had their booth. And they, like, the thing I really love about Roman's and Book Soup is, like, they, they always set up a very eclectic collection. Because this was around the same time that Barnes & Noble still had booths that were in the Festival of Books. You know, a lot of their stuff is very conventional. It's just, you know, the typical stuff that's yeah. like bestsellers and all the stuff. Whereas Romans is willing to take a chance and just like, you know, build up more thought provoking books. And of course, you know, this was in the mid 2000s. So, you know, just the new atheism was kind of just uh, in vogue at the time because of uh, Christopher Hitchens. Right uh, so, so yeah, so this one came out and then I took a look at it and I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a try. I bought the book and yeah, to this day, it's become... It, it's one of the books that has kind of shaped my life and it's really good and I definitely recommend it to anybody who's even considering it. It's not it's not this text that kind of just like in your face about it. It's more just kind of a measured approach. So it's really good to have those kinds of stories, those kind of books, because when people start to explore atheism, they usually come at it with a negative attitude towards religion. Like they, they're frustrated and they're angry. And most things for cap, for atheists capitalize that on that. So it's a lot of negativity about religion. So it's good to once in a while have something that focuses on the positivity of atheism. So yeah. you don't have enough of that in the world. So it's good that you were able to find that book. Yeah. And look, I'm not saying that like, you know, some of the books that are kind of just like critical of religion don't have their place i mean they do oh yeah yeah so but it's just when people think of just anything about atheism they think of like christopher hitchens sam harris very confrontational guys which don't get me wrong i love those guys but also oh, no nothing but respect but also you know some people are just like it's a, for them it's very very sensitive and you know it's just when you talk about someone trying to let go of faith, it's like that's a talk about the touchiest of subjects. So if you really come, is. so if you come with that attitude, it's just like ah, you know, it'll get you know people just recoil immediately. And this book kind of just like no, well, this book kind of takes the approach of just like let me explain just where I'm coming from, and then it just slowly kind of just like pulls out those threads, and then you're just like all right, see, see, just like this is where it's going, and yeah. So that's 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 one of the big books that uh, I found through the festival and kind of changed it, you know, changed everything. Plus, also, I love a lot of great graphic novels. And, you, you know, speaking of kind of like Pennyworth books where Pennyworth Press, I think. It, yeah, it's the big uh, book wholesaler that just, you know, you can get like a couple of great books for like seven bucks each. So. Keep an eye on that because you can find you can score a lot of good stuff for cheap. I wonder if they'll have any uh, graphic novels for Moon Knight. Well, Heidi Ho Comics also makes an appearance. Oh, yeah, that, that's the other thing I keep forgetting. It's just like, yeah, graphic novels. Yes, it's like comics, indie, both the capes and the indie stuff just like well represented. Definitely, you know, you're going to find what you're whatever you're into book-wise or related, you're going to find it there, as well as some good food. It's just a great time, and hopefully we'll see you there. Yeah, we will definitely be walking around. All right, and I think that is going to be it for this episode, so thanks, everybody. Hopefully we'll see you at the festival. 
Let us know in the comment. Let us know in the emails or the comments of our posts if you found this helpful, or maybe you found a place or a book that maybe I should read. Since clearly I'm not reading anything, hit us up at the emails to live and trying to lay podcast at gmail.com and the socials to live and trying to lay podcast on Instagram and to live and try pod on Twitter. Tyler, anything else? No, I. You know, I'm kind of mad because I had a funny joke earlier, and then. We kept talking. Now I got nothing. All right. I know. I'm very mad at myself. (laughs) Well, that that has been our episode this week. Thanks, everybody. Good night.